This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined, as always, by my esteemed colleague, at Horns 24-7, the one and only Eric Henry. Eric, um, we are recording on Tuesday, January 30th. We are two days removed from learning that the Longhorns will have representatives in the Super Bowl for the 18th time in the last 19 years. Thanks to... Charles Amenehu, who makes a huge play in the AFC championship game with a strip sack of Lamar Jackson, and then later tears his ACL and will not be able to partake in the Super Bowl, which is just awful because he signed a two-year uh, $16 million free agent deal with the Chiefs and had a career-high seven sacks this season, including that strip sack of Lamar Jackson. Uh, And on the other side, it will be Kyle Shanahan, former Longhorns wide receiver, son of legendary NFL coach Mike Shanahan, now getting ready to coach in his third Super Bowl, Eric, um, because his 49ers took advantage of my Lions head coach, Dan Campbell, losing his mind and not trying to kick field goals and take points on the road, not give the other team any source of momentum up 24 to 10. But no, Dan Campbell wanted to go for it. He went for it. Gave the 49ers that momentum and Kyle Shanahan and a bunch of other craziness that happened, like a ball bouncing off the hands and face mask of a lion into the hands of Brandon Ayuk for a 51-yard reception that set up a touchdown. But uh, Eric, how are you doing? CB, I am doing well, not going to lie. Fighting the struggle bus a little bit here as... As you mentioned, we are taping this here on Tuesday, um, and that is coming off of a overtime contest at Moody Center, which we will certainly get into later in this podcast. But for the purposes of me being on the struggle bus, it meant that I did not leave Moody Center until after midnight last night. So uh, got a couple cups of coffee here. You know, we're, we're trying to trying to make it work. We're trying to trying to ramp up the energy here. You know, Chip Brown is, is all the man needs is, you know, is, is what are you, Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi guy? Which one are you? I'm actually a uh, well Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Okay, I, I knew it was one of the the brands. You know, I, I'm trying I, to let it go, but <laughs> still Coke Zero. But there you go. So or sparkling water or sparkling water. So yeah. So I, I, I'm trying to dial up the energy here because of course we are rock and rolling here on the podcast. And just to quickly touch on what you mentioned there, yeah, what a weekend of football, the championship game weekend one of the best weekends of football in my mind chip i'm a divisional guy you know when it comes to uh the playoffs i love wild card week i love divisional um but conference championship weekend certainly up there as well and yeah your your lions who beat my bucks to move on and uh yeah i don't know if this has to sting more the fact that you know it's an aggie dan campbell and some of his questionable calls here's the deal you know i know a lot of a lot has been made about analytics and things of that nature i don't necessarily think chip that those decisions fell into the realm of analytics. I think that fell into a guy who just is, you know, very inexperienced in that moment and saying, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I've got to be Dan Campbell, right? I've got to be the bite your kneecaps off. We're going to go for it on fourth down as they had, you know, been very aggressive all year, but man, sometimes got to take the points, you know, I mean, listen, and it's sure 
None of those kicks would consider gimmies per se, right? But there's a reason you got the kicker on the roster. Take the points, especially in when Chip, it's playoff football, the margins are tighter, the windows are tighter. You, you just just need to do a little something just to to break that momentum and and not go you know scoreless until you know a certain point in that game. So yeah, I'm sure Dan Campbell will learn from it, but. For the sake of all Michiganders and, uh, you know, like yourself and longtime Lion fans, it, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm old enough to, you know, one of the, the first football games I ever went to as a kid was a 1998-1997 season chip. I think I may have mentioned this to you once or twice, but uh, Lions-Bucks, 97, wild card playoff game there that uh, uh, Detroit fell 20-10. to 10. So even in my lifetime, I'm old enough to remember one of the few – Lions playoff games and you know I'm 32 so you can't guarantee you're going to be back next year so I can understand why those losses stink well it was funny I was texting with Dan Neal former Longhorn um, All-American offensive lineman two-time Super Bowl winner with the Denver Broncos and he said the Aggie ended up acting like an Aggie he said, actually, two of them, because Dan Campbell and Josh Reynolds went to A&M. Um, and I list, listen, <clears throat> Josh Reynolds, tough, tough situation. You know, it would have been a great catch on the fourth down, um, the third third quarter, fourth down attempt on fourth and two. Uh, then he dropped the third and nine pass that was right in the breadbasket. And you wonder how much of that had to do with not converting on fourth down. Like, did doubt start to creep into Josh Reynolds' mind after he can't hang on to that fourth down pass to the point where he drops the third down pass? It's like, just like the momentum is proportional, but it's less if you miss a field goal. Because... You know, the kicker, okay, all the starters are not out on the field. There's a lot of backups in the special teams, and okay, it's a field goal. If you get stuffed on fourth down, the entire defense gets confidence, and that's a loaded defense. I mean, it's not like you're it, – it just felt like they were tempting fate. But I digress. We will have Longhorns representing in the Super Bowl – and yes, the Aggies, the Longhorn prevailed over the Aggie um, in the NFC Championship game. So, um, Eric, we've got, uh, you know, we've got uh, a new defensive line coach since our podcast last week. It is now official. Uh, Kenny Baker, who you did a nice job of delving into his time at Western Kentucky. So Kenny Baker, who spent the last season as the assistant defensive line coach for the Miami Dolphins, was at Western Kentucky for three seasons before that, helped develop uh, first, well, the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year, uh, D'Angelo Malone. Um, what, uh, tell us about, your uh your findings after looking into kenny baker's time at western kentucky yeah well i mean first off you know obviously prior to joining 24 7 i'd covered conference usa for six years so i was pretty familiar with uh kenny baker just the name you know a, a lot of coaches in that league um really well regarded shout out to my guy tyson helton by the way the uh head coach of western kentucky appreciated me you know appreciate him giving me 20 minutes on a whim you know, it was more than happy to talk about Kenny Baker. Um, but the the thing is this, I, I think, to bring it in terms of what Horns fans are, are, are should be expecting, what should be getting, Chip, we've talked about it over the past month, right, that this was going to be a, a crucial season of development for guys like Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, even some of the younger guys, right, like Colton Vosick, you know, and, 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 and others. Um yeah, Aaron Bryant, Zach Swanson, yeah. Ray Bledsoe, Sadir Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Listen, is Kenny Baker 
Bo Davis, no, right? I mean, Bo Davis has 15 or more years of coaching experience on him at Power 5 level and, and, and the NFL and so on and so forth. Kenny Baker is still a rising coach. But what I think that Longhorn fans should feel very comforted in is the fact that this guy has been widely regarded as just, I, I you know, I don't want to put too much hype on him, Chip, and say like he's a coaching prodigy. But the amount of coaches, whether it was, you know, again, Coach Helton or even I asked, you know, some of the offensive line coaches I dealt with at FIU and some other guys, uh, you know, at Charlotte. And they talked about the fact that Western Kentucky's defensive line were always fundamentally sound and technique. They were not guys who were going to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. They know how to use their hands. And they felt that a lot of that, first off, you know, that had to do with Jimmy Lindsay, who, who was the defensive line coach at Western prior to Kenny Baker. And then Kenny Baker advancing that. And I had a quick conversation with D'Angelo Malone of the Atlanta Falcons, who kind of reemphasized something that he said to me even back when we spoke at Conference USA Media Days 2020, if memory serves me correct, or 2021, should be 2021 Media Days. And he said, and, and mind you, Chip, this is a D'Angelo Malone who was coming off of a 99 tackle, 22 tackle for loss, 11 sack season. I can still, I can recite those stats off the top of my head. In 2019, that earned him the, the league's defensive player of the year in 2019. As and a sophomore. Said, as a sophomore. And he said that Kenny Baker, you know, taught him things that he didn't even think he, he needed to know in terms of his technique. And he really felt that that kind of advanced him as being, you know, a guy who truly was capable to, you know, excel and get drafted in the NFL. Had another guy and Ricky Barber, who is now at UCF in the Big 12. But, you know, Chip, covering football at that level, you get a lot of these guys, these lightly recruited guys. You know, D'Angelo Malone was a 6'3", 215-pound kind of hooper, you know, who wasn't tall enough to be a hooper. So he found his way on the gridiron from Atlanta and, and landed there. And Ricky Barber's another guy who was 6'3", 6'4", I want to say 230-ish uh, when he got to Western Kentucky, redshirted as a freshman 2019, 2020, you know, we're wondering, oh, man, you know, who's this kid who's going to step in and, 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 and kind of fill there uh, in the middle of their defensive line? Austin ends up being a freshman All-American, and then he jets to UCF and is now playing the Big 12. So I'm just saying all that to say, it, while the name Kenny Baker might not be, you know, I think it's clear, Chip, to say, and I said this on, on, on you know, the boards, it's clear that Kenny Baker was not the first choice, right? But just because this is a name that you're not familiar with or you, you might not have heard of, really well-regarded amongst coaching circles, against how, how he got his job, you know, the godfather of defensive line coaches <laughs> someone who recommended him to uh to tyson helton there in western kentucky so again i i think the defensive line room is in good hands another thing chip that i i think i was concerned about or just intrigued about was the relationship that guys like ac and vernon brought and others had with a bo davis right ac said he'd give bo davis a shirt off his back tyson helton was adamant he said listen as soon as those guys get to know kenny they're gonna love him because there is not a room that he walks into and he will just gravitate towards him and his energy. So all in all, you know, again, appreciate Tyson Elton giving me 20 or so minutes, you know, they're on, on a whim that day. Uh, but a lot to like about Kenny Baker and, and he'll be making his way here to Austin pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> the recommendations um, for Kenny Baker are impressive. You mentioned Pete Jenkins, who's, uh, you know, considered one of the godfathers of, of D-line coaches who has coached everywhere in the SEC from um, LSU and Florida and Auburn, uh, Mississippi State, that um, Pete Jenkins is a guy who gives uh, Danny Baker a big endorsement. And um, and he's 37. Uh you know, the people I talked to said he's high energy. He's got a super engaging personality from a recruiting standpoint. And and so, look, Steve Sarkeesian knows that this is a critical hire. And in some aspects, I've, I've said for an offensive minded head coach, the defensive line coach can be as 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 important as your defensive coordinator, because that's the guy who's going to help evaluate, recruit, and develop your trenches and bring the toughness to your football team. Um, 
that defensive line is, you know, quoting my, my guy, Dan Neal, you got to have guys who everyone else fears in your defensive line group, because that's going to, that's going to sharpen up the offensive line. And those are the guys who are going to demand accountability from the rest of the defense. So it's a, it's a big hire. It's an important hire, but you also have guys like Pete Kwiatkowski, Johnny Nansen, who've both coached the defensive line at different times in their careers. Um, And so, you know, Steve Sarkeesian knows he's got to have a guy who comes in and fits with the rest of the staff and adds to that defensive staff because, um, you know, Bo Davis, interesting guy, doesn't love recruiting, but is a guy who has developed a lot of players who've gone on to the NFL. And, and it was a loss. It was a loss. The timing of it was a loss. It, it affected a bunch of different things. You know, DeAndre Robinson asking out of his letter. DeAndre Robinson's now enrolled at Florida. Um, you know, Dominic McKinley um, had interest in Texas, and then he didn't, and now he's at LSU, and Bo Davis is at LSU, so or he's committed to LSU. I'm not sure if he has signed yet uh, heading into this next uh, signing, well, Wednesday. Well, is the next signing period here. So, um, yeah, it's a big hire. It's an important hire. And um, and we've talked about Johnny Nansen helping to bring in Tia Savea, the defensive tackle from Arizona, who that's a big time uh, get in the portal from, we talked about it, he's more of a run stuffer than he is maybe a pass rushing defensive tackle, but look, you got to stop the run first. And we know, um, cause we're going to talk about the senior bowl here. We'll, we'll just transition into that. Um, senior bowl practices going on right now. And Byron Murphy, uh, is starting to hit some first round, um, <clears throat> projections, uh, in mock drafts from people, I think who are respected in the business, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, two guys uh, who work for NFL uh, Network, NFL.com, who've worked in talent evaluation and uh, scouting departments in the NFL. Uh, Both of them have Byron Murphy going in the first round and uh, Bucky Brooks has Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat going in the first round. So um, I think people are starting to appreciate uh, at the NFL level, they're starting to appreciate just how good Texas had it this past season with the two highest rated interior defensive linemen in, in FBS, according to pro football focus playing on the same defensive line, Eric. Chip, I mean, there's no shock to me in terms of Byron Murphy. We take a look at a guy who's six, one, what, 310, 315-ish, you know, and how many times did we hear players start with him being one of the strongest people on the team? You know, as you were talking, I've been trying to rack my brain for an NFL comp, and and I don't necessarily have a great one just because I think his sheer power combined with his athleticism is something that, you know, Chip, I'd be really interested to see what Byron Murphy does in, in, in some of those, you know, athletic drills like three cone and shuttle and things like that to kind of see his, his short area quickness. Because, again, you know, maybe it's me being a, a Tampa homer, but the first person who comes to mind is someone who can kind of wreck uh, in the interior of that defensive line is like a like a Warren Sapp type, maybe even a, a Gerald McCoy type. But, A, he's, he's smaller than McCoy, and B, he's probably much stronger than Warren Sapp ever was. Warren Sapp was a guy who, while certainly a game wrecker, uses his athleticism for that era, right, Chip? You know, in that era, he was an uber-athletic DT, so I've been trying to rack my brain for a comp, but nevertheless, Chip, to... to well, for those of us watching on the YouTube channel... <laughs> That body looks a lot like Aaron Donald. Like 300 pounders are not supposed to be ripped um, with just perfect symmetry. There's not any sloppiness on that uh, on that 
frame. And this sure, is. I, I I didn't want to go Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald's a little bit bigger than than Murph, isn't he? Aaron Donald's about six three ish. No, no, okay. he's he's a fire hydrant too. So um, let me double check that though. Yeah, I I, I I could be wrong because maybe it's just the sheer frame. If you ever see Aaron Donald shirtless, that makes him seem as if he's bigger. Because I I in my head I had Aaron Donald closer to yeah six one he's six one okay he's listed at so. Yeah. And listen, and, Aaron and Donald was up. a I mean, he was a freak. But I'm telling you, watch out, Byron Murphy. No, 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 no doubt about it. And and I mean, to your point, Chip, NFL teams realizing how good Texas had it. That guy lined up to Tavondre, lined up next to Tavondre Sweat. <laughs> I mean, that just goes to show you. And I mean, listen, we can use it as, as a segue into some of the things we've talked about in the past, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about, right, is how good those two guys were. We, we should probably level set when it comes to Alfred Collins and Vernon Brock, right? That, listen, there's only so good you can be. So it probably necessitates the need for the rest of the defensive line to raise its play, and also a guy who we'll talk about like Tia Savea to be, you know, a, a little bit more of a dependable presence, dependent upon presence, because you can't ask, <coughs> excuse me, AC and Broughton to be those guys and type of game records they were this year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, Aaron Donald, it's funny, Byron Murphy, 6'1", 308, Aaron Donald, 6'1", 284. Um, and I'm I'm just telling you that body, that frame is almost a ringer for Aaron Donald. Because I remember when when Donald came out, he's 32 now. He's been in the league 10 years, but uh, which is amazing. Doesn't seem that long ago. But when he came into the league, I remember seeing him with his, you know, shirt off, combine, whatever. And I was like, you're not supposed to look like that at 300 pounds, but um, yeah, Byron Murphy has spent basically three, four days in Mobile, Alabama, and his stock is soaring. So um, everybody can check out the uh, the Senior Bowl this weekend. Uh, you got Jalen Ford uh, in in Mobile. Um, and I just had this little list up, uh, but you've got Chip. Uh... Just to double check, I'll let you go ahead and check on that because when we checked the Senior Bowl rosters, uh, saw that the only two Longhorns who were there were Byron Murphy and Christian Jones. Of course, Jalen Ford and um, come on, Jordan Whittington, and there's another one that I'm, I'm missing off the top of my head who accepted invites. Oh, um, Christian Jones. Yeah, they accepted invites, but are no longer on the roster. So I'll let you just check that really quick. But when I checked yesterday, Jalen Ford and Jay Witt were not uh, on the roster anymore. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, they uh, they accepted their uh, their invitations, but they are not there. Right. Interesting. Um, well, bottom line is we know that uh, – that Byron Murphy is is having an impact. So this will be uh, this will be fun to watch over the weekend, and that leads us into our next uh, topic, Eric, and that is replacing um, guys like uh, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat. We uh, in the Insider did a, a top ten hardest players to replace. Um, no, no surprise. Number one, um, Tavondre Sweat, and um, you know Alfred Collins is going to be a guy who uh, you know gets a look there. Alfred Collins actually probably has more in common with Byron Murphy. He was a better pass rushing defensive lineman than Tavondre Sweat. Maybe Vernon Broughton actually ends up being the uh, replacement for for T Sweat and Alfred Collins ends up being the replacement for Byron Murphy, but uh, those are the top two guys that Texas has to replace. 
Chip, I thought you did a great job with the list. You talked about the top two. I'm going to go ahead and just call one that I thought was pretty interesting to me. You know, you talk about David Benda. Um, and it's someone you had him at, at, at number six. You talk about the pro football focus numbers, actually rating him, excuse me, grading slash rating him just a tick higher than Jalen Ford at linebacker. Now, of course, you know, that, that gets a little bit tricky, right? Because, of course, you know, what Jalen was asked to do versus what Ben was asked to do, uh, you know, two different things and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, I did find Benda getting him back. I, I thought that was an interesting addition on your part. Um, you talk about Amari Nyblack in terms of, you know, needing someone who you're going to have to run two tight end sets, Texas, right? You know, Gunnar Helm, uh, obviously someone who's developed this year, but you know uh, how much Sark loves his two tight end sets. And one that I think goes a little bit under the radar because we'll have to see if this is something that gets addressed or if we're just going to stand put. That's Michael Kern. Comes from a really good program. St. Thomas Aquinas down there. Uh, for those who may not know, a legendary program down there in Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, you know, produced Michael Irvin and and just countless. I, I, I couldn't even run off the list of, you know, over 100 guys that probably put in D1 in the past decade or so. But, you know, at least for for Horns fans, it should be comfort the fact that he's a guy who has kicked in at least in the high school level in, in big games. Right. And comes from a really good program. He's not just getting a kid, you know, who got a big leg from a public school, you know, who, is, who hasn't done it on, on big time stages. But that's one thing's going to be interesting, Chip. You know, I mean, listen. All things considered, we know Texas has seemingly the pieces to run it back and, and make a push. And uh, you got to have all your forts secured and held down. Michael Kern, if he is going to be the punter, especially someone who's not getting here early, see how he adapts. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about <clears throat> the uh, the offensive players who need to be replaced. And you mentioned Amari Nyblack. Um You've got uh, Matthew Golden coming in from Houston, who's, you know, kind of got the same. Uh, well, Chris Jackson told me at the at the Sugar Bowl media day that uh, he said, this is a quote, he said he's going to be a perfect NFL caliber kickoff returner and he's going to be an NFL caliber receiver for us. So my job is to try to get him in and out of here a lot like A.D. Mitchell. Golden is has been incredibly productive. Um, I mean, Texas fans remember that because he caught seven balls for 88 yards and two touchdowns against the Longhorns in the 31-24 um, win at Houston this past season. Um, but he's... You know, he's been productive. He's not had any less than six touchdown catches in a season in his two years at Houston. And tough-minded guy, not a real vocal guy, more of a do-it-by-example guy, but really, you know, really talented, ball skills, uh, good route runner, smart, tough, can run all the routes over the middle. Um, and then – you know, you've, you've got Xavier Worthy moving on. You've got Jordan Whittington moving on. And you've got um, Isaiah Bond coming in from Alabama and Silas Bolden coming in from Oregon State and John Tay Cook, who uh, is a guy I think Steve Sarkeesian really likes. And he only had eight catches in 2023. Um, but he averaged 17 yards a catch. The what two of them? He had a 51 yarder against Baylor, a 26 yarder against Kansas. We're both kind of breathtaking with the way that the guy just caught, you know, balls in stride, yards after catch. Um, but you know, I think Cook is the heir apparent to Worthy. And then, you know, Isaiah Bond is gonna be he he ran think half his snaps at Alabama this past season out of the slot. So, you know, DeAndre Moore, Ryan Niblett, um, Isaiah Bond, and there's going to be really good competition for that, uh, for that slot receiver. And obviously Sark wants these receivers to be able to line up anywhere and sort of be positionless, but um, that's going to be fun to watch in the spring, Eric. No doubt about it. And it's just, you know, Chip, we've talked about on the podcast, 
it's funny how when we ended the season or we were prepping for the end of the year, we're looking at, man, Texas is going to have to replace, you know, this many receptions and leading the, the five leading guys at receiver. And now you go into it and you feel like this is a, a, a strength and not only a strength chip, the ceiling, uh, to quote the old Michael Jordan line, right? The ceiling is the roof. But he said that at North Carolina, still one of my, my funniest, uh, you know, thing to hear someone say. But nevertheless, you get the point, right? You, you go into this year feeling like, man, this wide receiver room can be one of the tops in the nation. So definitely look forward to seeing some of that competition out there when we get spring ball. Well, and I got to say this. Um, you know, Jonathan Brooks is moving on and and Texas did not go in the portal looking for a running back because they've got CJ Baxter and Jaden blue. But the minute that Tashard choice, I asked him for a comp for Jaden blue. And he said, Jameer Gibbs. I'm like, okay, Jaden blue. I mean, 6.1, a carry this year, Eric. I mean, look, they need two backs. They need two backs. Don't I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to cause any stir here, but. If the comp for Jaden Blue is Jameer Gibbs, who Tashard Choice helped recruit to Georgia Tech, uh, yeah, Jaden Blue needs a lot more carries in 2024. So um, that's going to be fun to watch. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sorry about that, Chip. You broke up there for a second. I caught the end of it there. He's talking about uh, the dynamic with Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter. Yeah, there's no doubt they're going to need two backs, right? And listen, you got to love a little bit of that, you know, thunder and lightning dynamic. Not to say CJ Baxter doesn't have his own breakaway ability of his own. We've seen him show flashes of it there. But no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You're not going to have, even though Sark hinted at it even entering um, this past year. Right. At Big 12 Media Days, he talked about, hey, you know, we'll see whether we're going to have a bell cow or it's going to be running back by committee. I think at this point, you know, enough, especially with the talent on this roster and talent in that room. Yeah, we saw enough of Jaden Blue to feel like that guy doesn't have to be 50 50, but you got to get him on the field because he's explosive. He's going to make plays. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, that's going to be fun. And, you know, it, it seemed like by the end of the season, C.J. Baxter got the first two series, then Jaden Blue would come in, and then it was whoever had the hot hand. Sure. Yeah. And against Iowa State, it was C.J. Baxter. Against uh, Texas Tech, it was Jaden Blue. And you know, we'll see how it we'll see how it plays out uh, in the spring and heading into the fall. The other um, interesting. You know, as you are looking to replace, um, you know, key guys, you mentioned Michael Kern, um, but Ryan Watts, you know, made the list really more for his play um, over the last two seasons. Um, it wasn't the season he probably wanted to have this year. There were injuries, but also, um, you know, tough, tough. Uh, Couple tough, I couple tough outings for for Ryan, including the the Sugar Bowl, five targets, five receptions, 131 yards given up. But Malik Muhammad looks like a ready-made walk-in boundary corner to me, Eric. Uh, I just love the confidence he plays with. I love that he loves to press. 
I think he's going to be a star. Obviously, Texas did not land his cousin, Jabbar Muhammad, who took the money and went to Oregon, um, Washington's rival. Uh, a lot of people thinking he might be going to Alabama with Kalen DeBoer, but no, he's going to Oregon. Uh, but Malik Muhammad, he's ready. Chip, it's interesting, right? Because when we kind of were entering ball camp, right? There's this cluster of young cornerbacks, right? Manny Muhammad and Terrence Brooks. And then even I talk about, you know, guys like Gavin Holmes, of course, not young, but transferred in and kind of see who's going to break out of that pack. Well, in my mind, you can't not be excited about what Malik Muhammad presented out there. A guy who showed not afraid to be left out there on an island, want to get up, you know, be physical, some guys, press on some guys and, and go cover. Them. And yeah, you know, I mean, listen, I, I think Ryan Watts, I'm I'm probably a little bit higher. I mean, Grant, you saw Watts last year, and I thought Ryan, when he was at his most effective, was an all-around really, really good cornerback, but the injury certainly played a factor. And yeah, not the way you want to end the year, um, but you know, certainly Ryan Watts was not the first cornerback to struggle against Jalen Polk, Romo Dunze, and others, right? So can't be too hard on him there. But yes, I mean, you got to feel confident about Malik Muhammad. And in my mind, still, just that 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 group there with Muhammad and you know Gavin Holmes and and Terrence Brooks as well the the secondary at least the cornerbacks you got to feel in good shape and that's a group that I think Chip is going to be looking no pun intended to have a chip on their shoulder you know they certainly had some issues down the stretch a lot of it you can attribute to you know better tackling need to get guys on the ground but I think as a whole they're going to want to come out and and really show hey you know we're a talented group we're better than some of our our worst moments of 2023 yeah yeah, uh, secondary had a chance to really, um, I mean, it's going to be a ton of different personnel outside of Jade Barron and Malik Muhammad um, and Terrence Brooks. We know the safety position is going to be a do-over with the exception of Michael Tatt, who's coming back, but gone are um, Jaron Thompson, Keaton Crawford. So uh, that it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You got Andrew Makuba coming in from Clemson. Um, you know, Derek Williams obviously is the star on the rise. And um, and so we'll get into that. We'll get into the secondary more as as we uh, as we continue along. Um, but before we get to take it or leave, I do want to touch on basketball, Eric. Um you know, since since last week's podcast, Texas went up to BYU and um, just got lit up in the second half of that game and ended up losing by 12 and and then had to turn around after, you know, being out west up in altitude and take on number four Houston Monday night at at the mood. and. Houston controlled that game and looked like they were just going to, you know, slowly, steadily beat down the Longhorns. And then Texas came out in the second half. I thought played one of their best halves of basketball this season. Um, good defensively, aggressive, taking it to the rack. Um after not shooting a single free throw in the first half, they ended up shooting 20. Now this game went to overtime, um, but Dylan Mitchell came alive. I thought Dylan Mitchell was a disaster at BYU. I thought he played one of his best halves of basketball, the second half of the Houston game. And, oh, Eric, Tyrese Hunter had the ball with a chance for Texas to take the lead in the final seconds um, and, and turns it over. It, you know, obviously didn't come down to that, but it was an opportunity for, for Texas because Texas really controlled the second half of that game. I, I mean, your thoughts, they end up losing 76, um, 72 in overtime to Houston. Um, but man, I didn't expect what I saw in the second half of that game. Chip, neither did I. You know, through 20 minutes of that game, it looked like it was going to be a classic Kelvin Sampson Houston team, the team that is first in the nation 
and fewest points allowed. They entered that game allowing just 51.6 points per game. Held Texas to only 25. And That's I mean, insane, by the way. <laughs> that it is. It is one points per game. It is, especially in today's college basketball with the, the athletes and guys, you know, shooting the three ball. And it, listen, that is an incredible number. Both teams didn't shoot the ball particularly well, you know, at, through the majority of the first half. They were shooting under 40 percent around, you know, even, I'd say even members correctly, under 35 percent um, through the majority of the first half. But, yeah, it, it looked for, for all intents and purposes like. Houston was going to just you know, be able to come out, put the clamps down. Texas had their little run in the first half and in, in the first 10 minutes when they went up 10-9. But give credit to Rodney Terry and company. He, he felt that, you know, in his mind, he, he didn't see, you know, necessarily being any further adjustments that they that just that they had a, a better um, they were getting better looks at the at the basket as far as, you know, being in the paint, being able to drive, dribble, drive, penetrate, things of that nature. But Chip, I mean, first off, Dylan Mitchell, you talked about it. There was a stretch there where they went on a 17 to 6 run to cut the deficit and tie that ball game. Dylan Mitchell scored six straight buckets. He had a stretch there we had 10 points, uh, I believe two or three rebounds, a block, a steal. I asked RT post game if that's the best stretch of basketball that Dylan Mitchell's played in his, you know, Texas career considering the opponent, right? Considering the the, the atmosphere and and RT wouldn't quite say that it was the best, but he said that that is what they think Dylan Mitchell's capable of being, right? I mean, Chip, first off, let's backtrack for a second. How many times have you ever seen Dylan Mitchell miss a dunk? I mean, that guy dunks for fun in pregame just for, for bleeps and giggles. He had a chance to take the roof off of Moody Center and missed a dunk. It was the damnedest thing I think I've got. It's the one Breakaway, thing. tomahawk, and he, he clangs it off the front end of the rim. It was... It's the one thing you think you wouldn't see from Dylan Mitchell. So I had to to mention that but listen you know we, we need to have a discussion chip you have probably been ahead of it further than i have kendall weaver his defense was lauded by kelvin sampson post game chip don't get a chance to catch that audio or not it just, uh, un, unprompted when talking about the guard play uh defensively kelvin sampson said the guy who he really thinks is the best defensive guard on this team is Kendall Weaver. It feels he's really special. He feels that he, he plays with an athleticism for a defensive guard that has a chance to be one of the top defenders in the Big 12. And I, I just want to kind of group the, the cluster of games here together, right? Because I think, it, you know, on the score sheet, Kendall probably only had five points. But I believe, if memory serves me correct, he had 15 against BYU and, and was in double digits as well. The game prior um, against Oklahoma in that win, I still think, Chip, that you have to start IT Horton for anyone who are rolling their eyes. Here's why I'm saying it, Chip. Here's the only reason, the main reason. The only reason the main oh, man, reason Eric is dying on this hill. Here's the, here's the main reason I'm saying it. This Texas team isn't deep enough, Chip, to just have a guy out there who's not giving you anything. And we've already seen what IT off the bench looks like. His best games this year have come with him in the starting lineup. So whether that's him as a starter only playing 20 minutes, because you saw that game ended, Chip, right? It was Acemas, Hunter, Weaver, Mitchell, and then some combination of DeSue or Shedrick going offense, defense. I think that's the five you close the game with, but I think this team just isn't deep enough to have a guy taking up not only just a roster spot, but a valuable roster spot and you, you get what you'd seen before was that three-game stretch we hadn't scored a point. So I think you continue to start IT, but maybe Weaver's established that he's the guy you close with, Chip. And he, he, he I had said this to you know a, another person on the beat. I, my curiosity with Kendall was, was he a guy who does his value and impact diminish as he plays more minutes? I think you've kind of seen that a little bit with Brock Cunningham this year. I don't think it's the case. I think Kendall Weaver's value will only increase with more minutes, but he had another great outing. Just and again, it, it not everything shows up in the score sheet, but fighting for loose balls, you know, going up on the offensive boards, you know, just doing those little things that you've talked about for the past two podcasts. I, I'm sold, Chip. Well, I uh what was it in the in the BYU game? I think all of his rebounds were offensive rebounds. Um, all, all five of them, he had, um, 
yeah, I he's he's the one guy capable of face guarding the other team's best perimeter player for an entire game. And I think we're getting there. I mean, he he made life difficult for Oklahoma's guards. Um, I would like to have seen him, you know, face guarding Shed more. Jamal Shed, who was fantastic. Austin kid comes back home, um, lights up Texas, you know, 25 points and eight rebounds. Here's the thing. If we're going to talk about, you know, Texas trying to find its identity and um, it's, it, you know what you're going to get from Max Asmus. You know what you're going to get from Dylan DeZue. And I think you know what you're going to get from Kendall Weaver. You're going to get undying defensive effort and, and maybe an occasional, you know, um, plus in terms of offense. That needs to be, we need to know what Dylan Mitchell is going to give night in and night out. And he's a little bit like a hummingbird in that, you know, when he's locked in, it's fun to watch. It's energy, it's defense, it's rebounding. But he can get lost. And I thought in the BYU game, he just was lost. and. And I, the feel for the game, I don't know. He's still waiting for his coaches to tell him what to do, Eric. And he needs, at this point in his career, he needs to be the guy who feels the game and can relay the conversation to teammates. And he's not there yet. I hope he gets there fast because he is, he's a game changer. I mean, his, his, abilities are are unique and um welcomed because he he's a guy who creates possessions he create with his offensive rebounding he he cleans up a lot of messes he's bringing the ball up the floor now which is big time he can grab a rebound and lead the break uh that takes some pressure off of ace miss and and um tyrese hunter um Dylan Mitchell is, he needs to go from good to great. And I, I keep waiting for that to happen. We're coming up on the midway point of Big 12 play. Um, but he was really, really good in the second half of that Houston game. And that that's one that got away, Eric. It, it, it uh, you know, your thoughts on the Tyrese Hunter turnover there with, you know, half a minute left in the game. Yeah, Chip, I'm going to sneak two thoughts here into one. First, uh, the Tyrese Hunter turnover. It, it was tough, right? Because, listen, Tyrese is a guy who loves the he, – he's not afraid of the big moment, you know, definitely kind of wants the ball in his hand and be able to be a, a playmaker there. But I saw, you know, being in the building, it just looked like he kind of got ahead of himself. You know, he had too many thoughts running through as far as what to do in that moment because you're right. It did – for lack of a better word, it looked ugly, but it wasn't – it just looked like the guy was just kind of out of control and not really sure what to do in that moment. Really quick on Dylan Mitchell. And, you know, Chip, you obviously covered Dylan Mitchell's recruitment when he signed with Texas. I don't know how many Longhorn fans may know this, but, you know, I'm from Tampa and I've seen Dylan Mitchell, you know, play. He's a guy who, Chip, when you talk about him just finding himself and getting to that next level, I think it's a byproduct. And I don't think D. Mitch would say this. He's still learning. And I think having a measure of continuity with RT He's a guy, Chip, who four different high schools, four years. Bishop McLaughlin, Alonzo. Um, he was at a school before Alonzo that I can't remember. Then, of course, goes to Mount Verde. If you're playing high school ball in Tampa at a you know private Catholic school, Bishop McLaughlin and Pasco, and in a public school in Alonzo, just go be Dylan Mitchell. Go be 6'8 and be more athletic than everybody, and you're fine, right? Then he goes to Mount Verde, which, of course, is the legendary you know powerhouse program. And it's, all right, come here for one year, and we'll get you to <laughs> Division One. So I think you almost wish you could get him for another year and you know, in all likelihood that's not going to happen. But I think that is the best way I can explain Dylan Mitchell still kind of having those moments where it's like, it goes from game to game. If it's unsurety or still not just knowing what to do and when to do it. But yeah, he's a guy who's just been bigger and more athletic than everybody for the bulk of his career. And now is really kind of having to learn that game. I think he'll develop it. You hope for Longhorn fans sake, it can be the second half of the big 12 and into, you know, the, the conference tournament. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully he does what's what's best for him because you look at a guy like Kevin McCuller um, at Kansas who came back this year after, you know, having a really, really good year last year. Um, and it's kind of like Quinn Ewer's decision to come back. If, if the player doesn't feel like they've mastered everything they need to master at the college level before they go up, um, and they want to make sure that they've got a better sense of it before getting thrown into the cutthroat world of the business of pro basketball, which can mean G League, Europe. Um, I think of PJ Tucker, who, you know, fell through the cracks, ended up going to Europe, got a got a what thirty day contract with the Phoenix Suns, and turned that into a. a incredibly profitable uh, 13-year NBA career, but he was kind of an against-all-odds guy. didn't help that he got a horrible DWI while he was in um, Phoenix. But you got you to gotta know as the player if you're ready or not. And, and I, I, I think Dylan has a chance to be really something special. And, again, we're coming up on the – midway point of big 12 play in his second year. I think, I hope he just continues to do this because the BYU game and, and a lot of times in games, he, he just looks like it's, he just doesn't have the feel for the game yet that I would expect at this point. And he loses his man or he bites on the up fake and guys blow by him. Um, and if I could jump like that, I'd want to jump every chance too, but, um, we'll see, we'll see this team struggles with free throw shooting too. And that hurt him down the stretch. And yeah, I just didn't, I didn't expect that turnover from Tyrese Hunter, where he's kind of in a, you know, he jumps into the air. He, that that's like stuff you see from a really young, uh, player, but Hey, Texas was right there. And they got to get over the hump again. They're playing TCU on Saturday at one on ESPN two. TCU beat that Houston team. TCU's number twenty-five in the nation. All right, Eric, you ready to get to some take it or leave it? I am ready, CB. All right, don't go anywhere, folks. Take it or leave it. Up next. And if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, we will roll on. All right. Eric, who's serving it up first? Me? You are, sir. All right. We'll take it or leave it here. At this point, a successful season for Rodney Terry and the Longhorns would be making the NCAA tournament. Take it or leave it. Chip, I am taking it. I understand that this team has been, you know, almost just maddening to watch at times, right? But I, and maybe it's a byproduct of being around this team every day, but I still see a ton of talent on this roster. When I look at a guy like Max Asmus, you've written, uh, you've talked about the fact that he's now just climbing up the NCAA scoring list. Max is a guy who has not had trouble getting his shots at the power five level, you know, the big time level here of basketball. And he played Dylan, a little D last night late against shed Dylan Mitchell, Dylan DeSue. We can run down the names. I think chip, especially with this being a tough, very tough big 12 league. They can find their way to eight and 10. I think they may get the nod depending on what those wins look like, but yes, a successful season is making the term. I do not believe this is one that you can look back on and feel great about if it's an NIT team, Chip. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to take this. Uh, they weren't in any bracketology projections two weeks ago, and then they got the win over Baylor and um, back to, and then OU on the road, and suddenly they're like in the play-in game. <laughs> 
last night would have helped a lot if they could have taken oh, yeah. down Houston. Um, that would have been a really nice resume um, resume builder for the Longhorns. But yeah, at this point, just getting into that field, um, I think that's that would be a successful season for this for this team. All right, take it or leave it. Number two, former Longhorn wideout Kyle Shanahan finally takes home the big one, the Lombardi Trophy, wins the Super Bowl as coach against Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. Chip you know what? Life. You know what? I'm going to leave this, and I'm – I listen, maybe I'm too close to it as a Lions fan because I watched intently the 49ers game against the Packers um, the week before in the – um, you know, wild card round, and then of course watched the, or excuse me, the divisional round, and then the or the NFC Championship game, and I there's something off about 49ers. I don't know what it is that's causing them to come out so flat or get outplayed for two, three quarters, but Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, they look like they're figuring it all out. So, um, and now you got Isaiah Pacheco a couple weeks to get his injuries healed up because you do have to run the football against the 49ers. They can be had. But I just think that, uh, I think the Chiefs are going to get it done. Eric, how about you? Chip, I hate to be blasphemous here on, you know, the 40 acres. But that guy from Texas Tech, he's he's Jordan to me. And as far as quarterbacking goes, um, until I'm proven otherwise, I, I saw my Bucks get a Super Bowl. And guess what? That had nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes play on that day. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm not betting against that guy until I see him taken out in the big time moment. So I'm leaving a chip. Yeah. All right. Take it or leave it. Number three, after landing Tia Savea from Arizona, Texas does not need to land another defensive tackle in the transfer portal. Take it or leave it, Eric. This was the toughest one for me. I am going to, say if the answer is they don't then i'm going to take it i am going to buy on the combination of sadir mitchell or jare bledsoe or aaron bryant or zach swanson that quartet of rising defensive tackles stepping up to the occasion stepping rising to the occasion excuse me stepping up to the plate yes i just made the the comment that it's a lot to ask for ac and vernon to play as high a football as Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. But I think we saw enough, Chip, whether it was the things we were hearing from practices or just the few moments, we, a few glances we got at these guys, I think they're chomping at the bit. I think getting a run stuffer in Tia Savea is key, and I'm taking it that those guys are going to be ready to step up, Chip. What about you? Okay, I'm going to leave this for the moment because of the next – transfer portal window and you know the Michigan players Harbaugh it took them so long um, for Harbaugh to make up his mind that yes Michigan players uh, can be in the transfer portal for 30 days but no one can accept them uh, to enroll in this semester so I want to see what is in the portal come may before i answer this definitively so i'll leave it for now and let's see if those michigan defensive tackles are still feeling good about ann arbor um you know come may all right good stuff lots of fun hope uh hope every well thank you first and foremost for everybody listening to this episode of the flagship podcast I am Chip Brown for Eric Henry. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Make sure you please like and subscribe.
to the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel and give us a nice review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, until next time, stay safe and keep the faith. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.